Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm bringing you Fordham Conversations from Fordham University's Lincoln Center campus. I'm just steps away from the classroom where actor Latanya Richardson-Jackson is teaching the semester after taking on her post as Fordham University's Denzel Washington Endowed Chair in Theater. Richardson-Jackson just ended her eight-show-a-week run as Calpurnia in the Broadway hit To Kill a Mockingbird. During her career, she earned a Tony nomination for A Raisin in the Sun, made her Broadway debut in Joe Turner's Come and Gone, and been in countless movies and TV roles. Thank you for coming on Fordham Conversations. Thank you, Robin. Glad to be here. Latanya, I want to know about your childhood. You grew up in Georgia. Where in Georgia did you grow up? Oh, uh, well, it's Sunday morning, so praise God from whom our <laughs> blessings flow. Right. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and that is real Atlanta, because people have now started saying, I'm from Atlanta. And then I said, where in Atlanta? And they said, oh, off Decatur. I said, oh, no, that's Decatur. Nope, that's East Point, but in uh, Collier Heights. That's what they call Atlanta proper. Atlanta proper. So what was life like growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, when you were a little girl? You know, I'm a post-civil rights kid, so for me, it was um, exceptional. I lived in what later became termed the Mecca of the South, because in Atlanta, it seemed to have be the hub for everything that was political that was going on and a great middle-class African-American community and a great musical community and arts. Everyone loved to come there. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois uh, matriculated at Atlanta University. Um, in the Atlanta University complex, of which I am a graduate of Spelman. Mm -hmm. As part of that, um, a lot of educators um, were from Atlanta. So we were growing up, a lot was available to us. And thank God my parents took advantage of it. I was raised by two great-grandparents and my mom and my aunt who taught school. and. Everybody was just involved at that time in young people and how we were growing up. So I got a chance to act in school, act in church, you know, act in community uh, centers around Atlanta. And with teachers like Georgia Allen, um, who was a New York Broadway stage actress who had gotten married and was teaching in Atlanta. So a lot was there for us. It really was a, a great place to grow up and be a kid. And you mentioned uh, Spelman, which is an elite historically black women's college, and it's your alma mater, as you said. And you intended Spelman in like the 1970s, just after the Civil Rights Movement. So can you describe what the atmosphere was like uh, for you in, in Spelman at this, this time? You know, I had been on Spelman's campus since I was 14 years old. So for me, it was home. And there, women are treated extremely well on that campus. And it is an all-girls school, but we were taught that one day you would be a woman and you would have to be in charge. And so that's how we were treated, as if you were going to be leaders who would change the world. So um, we believed it. It was our indoctrination. You know, we came through a revolutionary period. I was part of an organization called Sisters in Blackness, where everyone was becoming aware of Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And 
Um, we dealt with everyone else in the community trying to bridge a gap between the educated and those people who had not had the advantages that we were enjoying. So we went through that. We were trying to, we went through voter registration. That was a heavy voter registration drive from the civil rights movement in Atlanta. And part of our, um, of the not even activities, we were charged as film. We had to go into the communities and do community service. So voter registration or helping out at preschools, because then there was a Head Start program, it was called Head Start. There were different things that you could choose to do in the community because it's a very active school who that is determined to turn out women who are leaders. So you were taught to not just be a leader, but also to give back. Like that was. Oh part no, of your that's destiny. that's your job. It's your. Remember Marion Wright Edelman, who said that um, giving is our is the service that we pay for living. You know, was um, the founder of the Children's Defense Fund (CDF), which is based here in New York and D.C. So. She went to Spelman. She's a Spelman grad. Yeah. You know, so. Latanya, what did you uh, major in at Spelman? Theater. Theater? I was a theater major and political science minor. And did you know you wanted to be an actress? You know what? I used to think I was going to be a doctor until I went to that campus and was in a play called, a children's play called A Chain of Jade. And how was your family when you chose the career of being an actress? Were they going, it's fine, or were they going, oh, no, you're going to be a doctor? No, they were really cool. It was like, well, what are you going to do with that? But I was always in something. I played with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. They said, you know, okay, she's going to do something, so we better be cool. But they did secure me a teaching position the, the day I graduated, I was handed a job at Booker T. Washington High School in the English department, theater department, I mean, to create a theater department for them. And I stayed there for 12 months to the day. I left school. Two weeks later, I was teaching school. And I was like, oh. But in the same time, I was working at a theater in Atlanta called the Academy Theater. So I was in you know, involved in both. By the time I finished and I had high school kids, I said, deuces, <laughs> you're beautiful. Go. It's not me. I'm not bureaucratic like that. And, and these kids drive me crazy. I said, I, I can't. This coming in, I was like, wait, you don't have your homework? Really? Mm -mm. I'm like, oh, I'm not a dog-aided person. I'm like, no, you get a zero. So it wasn't for me, but you know what? And I ended up still having relationships with some of those students who were really determined and are still to this day, I can see them. They're like, hey, Miss Tanya, Miss Tanya. I said, hey, darling. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon at Fordham University's Lincoln Center campus talking with actor Latanya Richardson Jackson. We're discussing her outstanding acting career, her marriage to Samuel L. Jackson, and her position as Fordham's Denzel Washington Endowed Chair in Theater. What was your first professional acting gig? Oh, my uh, equity card was for The Best Man. The Best Man. Yeah. That's how I got my equity card. And how did that feel? I was a senior in college. I was going on tour the, the following summer, so it was great. I met who is now our executive assistant, my friend Frank Neese, on that tour. He had just graduated from University of Florida, and he was an actor then. 
I've known Frank for 40 years. So anyway, it was Good great. It was it was traveling. It was I was the only black person, but you know what? I learned a lot and I carried everything that I had been taught at Spelman with me. So it served me well. And the next thing I knew, because of who I had been at Spelman, E.G. Marshall, um, Joseph Papp came to one of the shows and he said, you should be in New York, so you should go home and pack your bags. And I did. I did. Was that the first time you had ever been to New York, or was that the first no, time? I, no, it was, it was the first time that I thought that I would come to New York and stay. So, How was the transition from living in Atlanta and then living in New York City? Are you kidding? <laughs> Are you kidding? Have you been to Atlanta? I used to live in Atlanta. Oh, well, you know. Uh-huh. We're talking about the Ponderosa <laughs> versus, oh, God, above a garage. I'm like, really? Um, I came one summer as an intern for the NEC, for the Negro Ensemble Company at that time. So I knew, living in New York, and at that time, there we, I, I lived with um, my friend who was at NYU, and we lived in someone's brownstone. It, listen, <laughs> I was used to a lot a in lot Atlanta. <laughs> I was used to space. And walking around in my own space, I was not even used to hearing other people talking in your building. It was just different. But fall in love, I felt so in love with New York. I was like, this is me. I always felt a little unorthodox in in anything that I was doing, like I was sort of outside of what was really going, outside in the sense that... uh, did you get me? Do you do you get me? You feel me? You know what right. I mean? Yeah, my understanding was always a li- bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. And in New York, it was like overload, complex overload. It was like, yes, yes, dance on that left foot. I get you. I get you. <laughs> I knew that I would be back to stay, and I did. I'm like, you know, until we moved to California, um, I came to New York and I worked at the New York Shakespeare Festival for nine years, off and on for nine years. Mm. Joseph Pelp was good to me. He really was. Now, uh, you've had a steady stream of work throughout your career. Was there ever a time that you just wanted to give up on acting and do something else? Never, never. because acting never gave up on me. I, you know, I, I, I'm telling these kids now, if it's in you, it will find you. If it's your path, stay on it. Um, I never really listened. Well, no one ever really told me I couldn't do it. So I was confident in that. The times that I was not working, now, I didn't always get the job, but I always could get a job. So all I did was act. That's all I ever did. And I would do master classes sometime, but I did commercials, you know, which made a nice little chunk for rent. And when once I got married and had a, a, a baby, I you know, thank God Sam was working. Because <laughs> it was like, Samuel oh, no, Jackson. this is, yeah, this is all I can do, buddy, is take care of this baby. <laughs> Did you take time off to take care of your daughter's own? It wasn't like taking time off. You know, actors don't work all the time. So, yeah, I was off as long as um, to stay at home with her because I didn't want to put her in a nursery. 
So, I, and if I could do something like in the summer or some times when my grandmother could come up and stay with me or something because my mother had passed by then, I would take the job. Otherwise, I'm like, if you need me to come and help you direct or something, I was directing uh, with Douglas Turner Ward at the New York Ensemble Company. I would go and do that, but I had to be at home with Zoe. So until she, she went to school when she was four to a preschool, our house preschool. But she was reading by then, and so I felt confident that she could tell me everything that was going on. And so... So you want to be hands-on. I'm very hands Listen, <laughs> I'm so hands-on that she's, what, 36? Now she's like, Mom, back up a little bit. I've got it. Back up. I said, okay. <laughs> and I'm confident with that. She's a producer now and three-time Emmy-nominated producer. Oh. Um, I'm confident that they got it. She's got it. I don't know about Sam, but she's got it. <laughs> Because I just came from running around for him. <laughs> which is why you're taking a breath now. I'm which what? Yeah. Ah, about to go on a nice vacation. Thank God. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I want to talk a little bit about your acting choices. So how now do you choose roles? You know, that's a, that's always an odd question for me to hear uh, an interviewer ask an actor. Most of us, and I call most of us blue collar actors. Because everybody is not star where you just have choices. The jobs that are offered are usually jobs that we have to take because we need the job. Stars get the choice of, okay, I'll take this role. I won't take this role. I'll take this role. But there are instances where blue-collar workers like me look at a job and I can say, no, thank you. I don't do scary because I have been offered like I don't even know the saw and uh, things with uh, carries and you know and Those whatever that guy. I'm like, and I tell my agents I don't do that because why? Because I'm a scared. <laughs> I'm a scared of that. He's scared. I don't even want. I I can't. I don't watch it. Mm -hmm. And if it comes on TV, I do this. <laughs> and Sam will always say. Why are you closing your eyes? It's a commercial. I said, I don't like the commercial. Messes with your spirit a little bit. I don't bit. like uh -uh. it. I don't like that somebody, my girlfriend Alfred was in Annabelle or Anna somebody, and she's like, oh. And then I said, mm -mm, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Don't talk about it. I don't it. even want to hear it. Was there any role that you really, really wish you had gotten or really wanted? What I really wanted and yeah. thought I was? Yeah. The Color Purple Oprah. Really? Uh-huh. I thought I had it. I did. I was like, oh, God, this is like my third callback. That, you know, that stung a little bit. What advice do you have to get over that? That, that like, Get ouch. over it. <laughs> it's like, okay, get over it. Oprah was fabulous, so get over it. You know, um, you just do. That's what I'm telling my children now in class. Look, you got to get. Thick skin. Sometime you're going to cry, but you got to wipe those tears, get it out, and go on to the next thing. Because we in this for the long haul. That's why you get craft. That's why you work on craft so that you're constantly learning how to make this thing work, how to make this thing whole. This thing that we do is unnatural. So 
obviously it's going to keep changing. It's, you know. What do you mean acting's unnatural? It is. We invite other people in to watch us pretend to be something, but we have to pretend to the point of what we call believability of verisimilitude that you really do think we are who you're looking for in this story. Mm -hmm. And that's unnatural. I just cried 400 and something times a day, sometimes twice and to a, kill a day. Uh -huh. And it was not faking it. The, in the theater, you can fake it in movies and TV, but in the theater, you got to come whole. It has to naturally occur every time you do it for the audience that's there. This is a new audience every time. So they need to see the new play every time. It's, that's unnatural. Some days you don't feel good. Some days you feel great. Some days it's like, oh, God, if I, my mind is like somewhere else. I got to focus, focus. You can't phone it in. And there are days you're going to have to rely on your technique to get you through, but you're not phoning it in. It's unnatural to pretend to, be, to bleed and actually bleed eight times a week. I find it so. I mean... That's just me saying it, it's unnatural. That's what I tell my guys. I think it's unnatural. Right. And you hear about these actors who go into character so much so that they are that character for the extent of the movie or the TV show. That's Cicely Tyson. And they Tyson. don't come out of that. That's Miss um, Tyson. Really? Mm-hmm. She jumps in, and that's who she is during the whole run. How do you doing. make sure that you don't get lost in a character? Like, uh, lo so lost that, you you know, you can't separate who, when you get home and you have to cook for your husband and you have a script to read and your daughter calls you and says, hey, mom, I need something, something, but you're in this, you know, I just cried for eight nights and it's a Sunday. and You just named the variables. That's why. You just named it all. Yeah. Because you got that. You got a life. You got another life. And I guess I just had other teachers who were so good, Baldwin Burroughs, Beanie Busher. All these people were just good at what they had to say and 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 what they did actresses like Julianne Moore and who can you know talk to you like I'm talking to you now and then turn it on yeah watching people who know what they're doing Alfred Woodard you know the the you know CCH pounded all all these actors who Lorraine Toussaint these are actors who just jump in and then they're out and you practice that. You practice how to do that. Because you have to let it go. You have to be able to shake it off. Um, you can learn anything. So that you learn that. And it's important that you know that to separate yourself, which is why I would never call myself some me a method actor. I know, I believe, you know, I watch the process. I know several. And I watch how they get into it. And it's great. But it's just not my well, choice because I got too much stuff to do. You know. And family help keeps you grounded. I, they everything keeps me grounded. I'm a worker bee. I'm like, you know what? Okay, I got it. <laughs> okay, so which do you prefer the most, theater, film, or TV, and why? Um, theater because it's my first love, and it's the one thing that I feel the most confident when I'm doing it. I rarely have stage fright. I feel at home in the theater. 
And maybe because whatever theater I go in, I make sure that I make it my home. I know the ushers. I know the crew. And I just finished uh, with To Kill a Mockingbird, and the ushers were coming up to me, and they said, oh, Latanya, we're going to miss you. You come in and speak to us every night because we warm up on the stage. A lot, a lot of us warm up. And I would always come in and say, hey, house. And they would always answer me back, hey. And I'm like, oh, y'all sound kind of sicky today. What's the matter? And somebody might say, oh, I don't feel good or whatever. But I'm, I think God has given me so much, and part of it is spinning a world for myself. So I'm able to just jump in and, and do that. And speaking of To Kill a Mockingbird, you, like we said, uh, recently ended your run as Calpurnia in To Kill a Mockingbird, a character that you've uh, been performing for almost a year. Um, how did you first get the role? I was called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my agents called and said, Scott Rudin and, and um, one of the producers and Bart Shear want to know if you'll come do a reading with Aaron Sorkin of something that he's developing from Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. I've been with this since 2017, since the first reading, of which we did for a week. You couldn't take the script home. You know, we would just come in and read with him, and then at the end of the day, leave, come back the next day. There would be a different set of pages. Um... That's how I got involved in it, and I, I stayed with it. Even though, you know, a lot happened with that play and with the producers and the lawsuits and, and the black people who were in it, then the black people who were out of it, you know, in and out, because those characters were not in the original uh, book of To Kill a Mockingbird. But Erin had been given the rights to do pretty much, you know, she... Harper Lee trusted him to do it. It was the estate, and I'm not going to get into that because I'm not supposed to ever talk about it. Gotcha. But it was not the script that he started out with because mm -hmm. it was more involved with um, NAACP or black doctors. You know, it was anyway. Because he was determined to give the black people in, in, in his story agency to hear them so that they were not just props and uh, conduits for the dominant culture story that they could think and talk. And so we had conversations a lot about all of that. Because everything that I read about, about your character, you weren't wallpaper. You weren't in the back. You didn't serve as, forgive this term, a mammy. No. You had presence. You had wisdom. You, had, you were almost... Um, I would say equal with the lead character. Well, did in, you play it like terms, that on purpose? No. Well, we talked about it because we want to hear what we never get to hear. We didn't get to hear it in the book, even though she was magical in the book. Um, she really was magical in the book and really kind of non-existent in the movie, which is what everybody remembered the movie, you know, Gregory Peck's great role. But um, in the book... She was there, then she got replaced by the sister, by, you know, Atticus's sister, but she was mostly magical. Everything she did was, you know, sage and this, and she brought in the food for them and, the, and whatever, and she saved the white children at the church from the black woman who was determined to talk about them, and why you bring them here? And she's like, oh, oh, oh. you know, the only time you hear her raise her voice against each other. I mean, 
it was just this kind of thing. But I told Bart exactly what you said about the mammy when he called the director. I, you know, he's a good friend of mine. And I said, Bart, you don't need me to come to New York and play mammy. So I'm not doing that. Oh, no, no, no. This is what's going to be different. And you're going to have an involvement in the development of it. And so I was in then. It was like, oh, a say-so? Okay. Did you base the character out of anybody from your past or any woman that you knew? Listen, any domestic servant of any African-American and most white people whom I know, any domestic servant is in our DNA because they either were in our household or they were at our church or they were walking the street doing something for us, being middle class, being lower class. These were the people who really helped build this country because they fed the white children, took care of the white children, gave the white children self-esteem when their parents were off playing cards or whatever, built this country. So, yeah, it was based on my grandmother who worked in what they called in Atlanta private homes. Then she worked for a school later, but she retired from the Atlanta public school system. But I knew these women. They were her friends. They were in our home. Uh, they were in our church, like I said. So I based it on what's in my DNA so that I'm aware of it. Because just because it's in our DNA doesn't mean that we're conscious of it. And all of the white people whom I know, who especially the ones who were of means, it was always the black woman that was standing there either cooking or learning something. And, you know, we're not that kind of people who are that kind of quiet. We know when to code. Mm-hmm. Code switch. People are doing that. Code we switch. know when to code and, you know, sort of like, you know, give it to you so you get it in an even way. But we also know how to just tell you straight out. And that's what Calpurnia became in Aaron's version. So I had I carried that and I carried my my grandmother, Miss Dovey Lee Jackson. I carry her with me every day in everything I do. But I'm also of the ilk that I want everyone, especially African Americans, to to lift these people up and be proud of the work that they did. You know, I I don't ever want to hear, oh, she was a cook, oh she was a maid, oh she was I'm like, so thank God, because they were they kept us afloat. Yeah. They kept us going. They paid for my Spelman tuition. <laughs> <laughs> now your husband has credited you with saving him from alcohol and drug addiction that he had in the in the 90s. What was life like living with someone with addiction then, and how did you save him? I did not you save did. him. He said he I know, and I said in, in, in an interview, I thought I had corrected that to say people with addiction are not saved by other people. They have to save themselves and God. That's why there's a higher power involved when you're in 12 steps because it's you and God. No one else can save you. This, this, you we can enable you and support you, and support you, but 
let me just say this. Mm -hmm. I was there and I didn't walk away. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. I was there to assist in him seeing himself the way that he was inside to get that outside. I was there for that. But him having the discipline to work through all of that, that was him and his therapists and the doctors and God. But there's still something about having that support, having that person there walking with you, seeing you at your worst well, and supporting you. I just way. come from that. Those are the kind of people I come from. Yeah. They're not like, you know, I missed an opening, one of his movies opening when his mother got ill. And I thought I was, and she was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she had to go in the hospital. And I thought I was going to leave and go to Sam's premiere. This was a premiere of, uh, I think it was the one, one with Bruce Willis or something. Anyway, this was a big deal. Die Hard, big Ooh. deal. And my aunt uh, said, wait, his mother's in the hospital. Both of y'all can't go. I said, what are you talking about? This is the premiere, because he was there, and he was leaving to go come to New York for the premiere. I said, Oh, we'll come back the next day. She said, you don't come from that. Mm. It's a premiere for a film, LaTanya. His mother is ill. Somebody should stay. Now, you married that, so I guess it'll be you. I was so pissed off. I was like, really? I was like, okay, yeah, I don't come from that. To hear my full, unedited interview with LaTanya Richardson-Jackson, including her talking more about her childhood, recurring character on Grey's Anatomy, marriage to Samuel L. Jackson, and thoughts on being black in America, head to wfuv.org backslash Fordham Conversations. You can also find Fordham Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and where you get your podcasts. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.